You're listening to Smart Businesses Do This. And in this episode, I'm joined by Tucker Max, owner and founder of Scribe Media. We reveal the secret to making those big life-changing moves that you've been dreaming of. Oh yeah, and we also talk about Santa Claus and exactly what you should be saying to your kids next Christmas Eve. Let's get started. You are listening to Smart Businesses Do This the podcast show for freelancers, side hustlers, and upcoming small business owners who want to transform their current business or business idea into a company that is built to succeed, simple to run, and gives you the freedom to live your life on your own terms. I'm your host, Adam Lyons. Let's get started. Today, I am joined by none other than uh, amazing best-selling author Tucker Max, who originally became famous for his book, I Hope They Serve Beer in Hell, but has gone on to actually help people realize their dreams of being an author by uh, creating one of the most successful publishing platforms or self-publishing platforms out there. Uh, Tucker, thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. Of course, man. My pleasure. Yeah, it's, I, I love this. So why don't you just take a minute and just, you know, I know you've had a, a really interesting story, obviously, going from author to helping other people publish their their own stories. What motivated you to do that? Where did that come from? Well, so it kind of came about by accident, to be honest. I was at an entrepreneur dinner in New York that a friend invited me to. And this woman, this is about five and a half years ago. And this woman asked me what I do. I told her and she's like, oh, I've always wanted to write a book. People have been asking me for 10 years to write a book about what I know. But like, same excuse everyone has, right? I don't have any time. I don't know how to do it, all that stuff. Except for her, it was more legit than a lot of people. A lot of people use an excuse. She was actually, she's this woman runs a big company and has a family and like, you know, a wife or a husband and all that. And so, so she asked me, she said, all right, well, you're a writer. You've done fancy writing things. How do I do this? How do I get this book out of my head without having to learn to be a writer and do all the stuff that comes with it? And so I looked at her and I was like, are you asking me how to write a book without writing? (laughs) And she's like, she kind of laughed and she's like, yeah, I mean, like, it sounds silly, but yeah, I kind of am. And I'm like, okay, well, and then I started making fun of her. Right. And I started like giving her the whole snobby elitist writer answer, like, which is basically lecturing her about how like everyone wants to be a star. No one wants to do the hard work. And so she, she let me do it for about five minutes and then she rolled her eyes at me and said, Tucker, are you an entrepreneur? And I'm like, yeah, of course. And she goes, I'm not so sure about that. She said, this is an entrepreneur dinner. If you were an actual entrepreneur, what you would do is help me solve my problem and not lecture me about hard work. And I was like, "Ah." (laughs) because she was a hundred percent right, you know, like, and totally called me out. So of course I became obsessed with this. Like, how do I get a book out of somebody's head without them having to learn how to be a writer? And of course, like she didn't want ghostwriting. She's like, I want this book to be my words and my voice. And I don't want, you know, someone to just go off and do it for me. And so it took me about three months And I finally realized like I've been sitting on top of the answer for the whole time. People have been doing this for 2000 years. They're called scribes, right? Mm -hmm. It used to be a whole job to listen to people talk and turn that into a book. And so long, long story short, I kind of came up with a process. It worked really well. And then I'm such a dumbass. Like I did it for her and I I literally just made up a price just because I wanted to do it. Right. And so made up a price. She paid it. She was super. In fact, I charged way too little when I think about it, but 
she paid it, was super excited about it. And then she's like, okay, well, what are you going to charge like for other people? I want to refer people. And I'm like, what do you mean other people? <laughs> she's like, well, like when I refer my friends, she's like, this is an amazing process. And I'm like, why would you do that? Why would you refer? She's like, because they want to do a book too. And I'm like, oh, no, I don't know, whatever. And like, I just made up a, like, I think I made up a price double of what I charged her. And so like thinking like, I'm like, this woman's crazy. No one's going to do this. And then she referred a bunch of people to me. Right? <laughs> and, and so then I basically got a buddy of mine who was helping me with some other stuff. I just told him what to do. Like, I'm like, okay, look, here's exactly, he's a decent enough writer. I said, here's the exact process I used with her, Melissa. Just do the same thing. And so like thinking this would be like three or four people, right? And then like, I'll say, I'll split the money with you. You know, like, oh yeah, I'll make some nice money and I won't do anything. Cool. Mm -hmm. And so then long, long story short, I go on a podcast. I go on Lewis House's School of Greatness podcast to talk about something totally different. Mm -hmm. And he brings up, he's dyslexic. And I start talking about this and he goes nuts and talks about it for like 20 minutes and like refers a bunch of people to me but I, like, he's like, what's your company name? And I'm like, I didn't even, I'm like, what company? <laughs> and so I made up this name. We were scribed now, but at the time I'm like, uh, it's called book in a box. Like I literally just, cause that's like Zach and I <laughs> joked that that's what we were doing is creating a book in a box for people. And so he's like, Oh, it's such a cool name. Everyone go work with them, whatever. And so like the next day I get an email from someone who's like, Hey, how do I hire you? And I'm like, now at this point, I'm freaked out because I know for a fact the podcast is not out the next day, right? Mm -hmm. I'm like, how the hell is this person emailing me? Turns out it was this producer of Lewis's podcast. And so I tell Zach and Zach's like, dude, I've been trying to tell you this for months. This is a business. Like a lot of people want this. And I'm like, yeah, I think you might be right. <laughs> and so, so we put up like a landing page. Lewis's podcast comes out. We sold like a quarter million dollars worth of packages. That was in August of 2014. We're now five years old, the company. It's called Scribe Media. We've published 500 books that are out. We have another thousand in process and kind of where we are now, I guess. What amazes me is you, it's not just like, you know, let's just churn these books out because it sounds like it, right? You know, you've got 500 books, a thousand coming. It's like, you know, You've got like every lunch lady on the planet writing a book. But actually, these books are really monumental. I mean, some of these books have hit mainstream media, thinking specifically of like David Goggins. David and Goggins. I mean, like we did the best-selling memoir of the year. The two, actually, so there were three major memoirs released last year. Mm -hmm. Michelle Obama, David Goggins, and Tiffany Haddish. We did two of the three. <laughs> and what made Michelle Obama, what made her go with you? No, we did two of the three biggest memoirs. I'm talking about both by press and by sales of last yeah. year. All right. So here's a question. Would you just take anybody? Like, can anybody just come up to you, write you a check, and then, and then you'd no, write I, I would never take a client who's in a relationship with two women. <laughs> <laughs> See, now I know that's not true. <laughs> no, no, we've actually, we, we turned down about, truthfully, about 15 to 20% of the people who come to us who want to work with us. And very few for like, I'm a big believer in free speech overall. And I'm also a big believer in not deplatforming people for obvious reasons, right? Like I've been on the other end of that, right? And so, yeah. um, so someone has to be like pretty awful before we will not take them on content reasons, right? Mm -hmm. And we've had those people. We've absolutely had like 
this one dude wanted to do a book that was basically like a book about why pedophilia is not so bad. And it was like, not dude, just not, sorry, not going to do it. Right. (laughs) That was an easy one to say no to, (laughs) but the ones that we won't take the majority are people who like, just don't have a book in them. We have two different processes. One, we interview you one where you write it yourself with our guidance and neither process works if you don't know what you're talking about. Right. And so like, most of the, our quote competitors in this space are, they're not writers. They're just marketers who like created a book writing thing and they don't really know how to write books. And their whole thing is, Oh yeah, write a bestseller on a weekend and you know, be a bestselling author and all like, it's all bullshit, Right. And so they'll take anyone because they don't know the difference. Right. But like, we actually have a real process that produces real books And so if you like, if you're just trying to do your book about sales and you don't know anything about sales, then we actually can't work with you. It breaks our process. I love that. Okay. Yeah. Cause you're, you're pulling a real book out of somebody who actually has to know what they're doing. Yes, exactly. All right. You've always struck me as somebody who's got like a a lot of fingers and a lot of different things. And yet whenever I see you nowadays, you pretty much only talk about scribe. Is this like the only thing you're working on or is there like other secret Tucker Max projects in the background? The only other place my fingers are is in my wife. (laughs) (laughs) yeah no dude this is the only there's no it's funny like i used to just write books about myself and my stories and then when i was done with that you're right i experimented with and did a ton of things but right now my entire life is basically three things my family you know my wife and kids my company scribe and the work i do on myself that's it i love that and i know this is a big thing that you're about as well because you know we've spoken about that a few times and you kind of reinvented yourself after your success with your books and, and the movie that came out, right? You went on a big overhaul. Yeah, I guess. I wouldn't call it a reinvention. I would just call it normal, natural evolution. But whatever, however it's framed, I've definitely spent a lot of time doing a lot of emotional work on myself, especially the last year and a half has been like just kind of breathtaking, the differences and the changes. <laughs> um, yeah, it's been a lot. So I'm not sure if I ever told you this, but I think the listeners might care. Did I ever tell you that you were the reason that I ended up getting hired to produce a Discovery Channel TV show for their YouTube channel? No. Okay, so this is actually the day we met. So I'd been hanging out with Harley Morenstein from Epic Mealtime. Yeah, and I know Harley. Yeah, so, so Harley's a great guy. He's a friend of yours. He's, he's a friend of mine. But I'd met him once before I met you. And Harley was like, aren't you some kind of like super social engineer guy? And at the time I'd like managed to get in South by Southwest for free. I made a video of, of how I like, you know, got past security and everything. And Harley's like, look, if you're so smart, I'll see you at Tucker Max's house party tonight. And I was like, I don't know Tucker Max. And he goes, right. But if you're so smart, you'll be there. And I was like, I don't even know where he lives. He goes, right. Good luck. And then he left. And so I was like, damn it, like I've got this great opportunity to do some cool stuff with Epic Mealtime, but I've got to A, find out where Tucker Max lives, B, break into his house for this house party. And so I, <laughs> I went to downtown Austin about the time when I figured your party would be. I'd narrowed it down to about three blocks because it was right by the W, give or take. And so I was just like wandering around on the streets and uh, I saw this woman pull up in a car with a bunch of crates of beer. And uh, she got all these boxes of beer. And so I woke up to her and I was like, Oh, they're for Tucker Max's place, right? And she's like, yeah. I was like, yeah. They sent me down to give you a hand carrying them. And so she went, no problem. And so I ended up carrying the beer up to your party. And uh, they let me straight in. And I walk in and there's like a whole bunch of people there. You're there. And uh, Ryan Dice was handing out cake pops. I'm never going to forget this. He was like shoving them. And I was like, did Ryan like buy part of this company or something? Because he's really trying to give people cake pops. It was like pretty crazy. 
surreal experience. I met you and I remember thinking just how chill you were. It was really cool. And what amazed me actually is your library. And the best thing about it is I'm always giving out books and losing them, but you take the name of the person that borrows the book, right? So that Well, it depends on the book, but yes, I will. <laughs> and I love that. I was like, that's the best. I remember thinking that's pure genius at the time. And anyway, and then I sat on your balcony and uh, negotiated a deal with the head of TestTube, which was the launch of Discovery Digital. And I ended up producing a TV show called Scam School, which was all about social engineering because of the fact that I social engineered my way into your house. So anyway, I'm sorry for breaking into your house. It was an apartment and it was a fairly open party. So it's like no big deal. (laughs) You know what's so funny, man? That party, that one party, I have had at least 20 people tell me stories about something in their life that happened revolving around that party. I'm serious. You're like, this is at least the 15th, I think 20th person. That's awesome. Something about it. It's the weirdest (laughs) thing. It's not like I'd never had people to my house before. I don't know what it was about that night. (laughs) Well, you know what it is? You're obviously not throwing enough parties because if you throw more, (laughs) then we could all get some business deals going. You know, like, hurry up, man. What's going on? (laughs) (laughs) I love this. And this is, I think, you know, really does emanate from your life. The way that you kind of like live this unique life. I'd call it like the best life of yourself. And so few people are willing to do that, right? To take the chance, do the thing. And I think that's one of the things I really respect about you. You know, I love that you're not afraid to speak the truth, call people out on their bullshit, go out there and do the thing and try to be the best version of yourself. I, I, I really respect that. Yeah, thank you. I was at lunch just now with Roy Williams and his wife. And she asked me, Penny asked me, you know, what's your superpower? Because she didn't know anything about me at all. She's like, what's your superpower? And I looked at her and I'm like, that's a question people get all the time. I don't know if I've ever gotten it. And so I was kind of like stuck for a second. And then I'm like, well, I guess if I had to pick one thing, it would be, I'm not afraid to speak my truth. Mm-hmm. And she kind of looked at me like no one had ever said that to her before. And she was like, wow, yeah, that's amazing. It's exactly what you just said. You know, I think that really is the thing. And speak and live to me are the, you know, almost the same thing. Like speak and live it. Or, and yeah, dude, People compliment me for that a lot. And it's funny, you know, the saying like the thing that you think is really easy for you that everyone else values, that's what you should spend your time on. Like that's your calling. Whenever someone says that to me, I'm always a little bit confused because I'm like, how could you be any other way? You know, like (laughs) I couldn't be any other way. I really do love that about you. There was a moment that happened this week. There was no way I was doing this podcast without talking about Santa Claus, by the way. No way. Um, oh, well, of course. We can do that all the whole time if you want, man. This is the best. I've been waiting for this. So for anyone listening, just uh, in case you're wondering, so me, me and Tucker are friends on Facebook, and I made a post. I've got this four-year-old, and I think I've told you, Tucker, but my four-year-old has this genetic condition where he can't generate the stress hormone cortisol, and it creates this unique personality type where he's really alert and he's not scared of saying anything. And so we were talking about things that aren't real. And we're talking about monsters and zombies and stuff. And I was like, yeah, that's not real. That's not real. And then I said, superheroes aren't real. And uh, he gave me like this little look like superheroes aren't real, dad. And I was like, oh no, I've like said the wrong thing, but whatever, I'm I'm going with it. And so he's like, okay, well explain ghosts. And I was like, you know, ghosts aren't real. And he goes, well, I did Ghostbusters exist then. I'm like, well, they're not real either. And then he goes, all right, but Santa Claus is real, right, dad? And I had this moment and in fairness, I'm going to defend myself before before Tucker puts me in my place. I'd always said, if my kids ever challenge me on Santa Claus, I'm going to say, you're right, Santa Claus isn't real. I just had this with my nine-year-old two weeks ago. My nine-year-old confronts me and we're like, but you know, the truth is we're all Santa Claus. 
and your job is to be Santa Claus in somebody else's life now and, you know, buy gifts for them. And it's like this whole big thing. There's this movement of people online that are doing it. But I couldn't say it to my four-year-old. I'm like looking at my four-year-old and I just broke his heart about superheroes. And I was like, yeah, buddy, Santa Claus is real. And I made this post online and quite rightly, Tucker was like, dude, why didn't you tell the truth? Hold so, on, hold on. <laughs> I did not call you out. That is well, not true. I told you what I do with my child. Touche. You, everything else you read into, like, there was no castigation of you. There was no judgment of you. There was no, I didn't tell you what to do. I didn't tell you what you should do. True. I didn't, no, I didn't even imply it. I just told you what I did and I gave you the rationale about why I do it. Okay, and this is what I love about you, right? Because it is that, that honest truth. And you're right, you didn't, but it definitely got me thinking. I've been thinking about it ever since because I'm like, man, this, you know, I believe I'm pretty good at being out there and be like, look, this is who I am. But when it came down to it, I crumbled, you know, at 10 o'clock at night, my kid's in bed, I completely crumbled. And I have, I've been thinking about it a lot since then. But I think it really does illustrate just how honest and true you are to that core. You had this great comment that you put underneath it, which is like, when you're with your kids, why would you ever lie to them about anything? Here's the thing I think most people miss about life. Life is really, really simple to understand Mm -hmm. if you let it be, right? It's not easy to do, right? But it's simple to understand. And this is a perfect example. Like who would ever argue with the idea that you should never lie to your kid? If I stood in front of a crowd and said, who agrees with the saying you should never lie to your kids? Every single person would raise their hand. And then if I said, who told your kid the truth about Santa Claus the first time they ask, no one's hand would go up. (laughs) So it's, no, seriously, it's dead ass simple to understand. Not actually easy for most people to live because then they go into all the other bullshit. Well, this, well, that. This is why I think I'm able to speak my truth when most people feel like they can't is because I just stop there. What do I know I'm supposed to do? it's X, then I'm just going to do X and that's it. Right. And so for me, it's, it's so simple. I love my son. I dedicate my life to this kid. How could I ever justify to myself lying to him? Yeah. You know, and now look, there's plenty of times where, okay, I'm going to frame the truth in a certain way that's age appropriate. That's a whole different thing, you know, but there's no framing Santa Claus is real versus Santa Claus doesn't exist. And so he actually, dude, I had this conversation with him about six months ago because mm-hmm. I'd always told him Santa Claus didn't exist. And because no one else had really told him different, he just accepted it. And then the other day I was driving to school. He said, dad, a lot of kids in my school say Santa Claus is real. Why do they say that? And I said, well, and I'll go through the whole conversation. I said, Bishop, here's the deal. They've been told that by their parents and their parents are lying to them. And he kind of looked at me like he couldn't even conceive of that. He's like, why would they lie to him? So I just, we started going through the whole thing, right? And so I like kind of explained, well, basically, like I kind of, they were lied to by their parents and then told them this is a thing and et cetera, et cetera. And then he's like, why? And I went through the whole sort of thing of social control of like, for most people are not doing this on purpose. But the point of this, the effect of this is that people think there is this beast or this all-knowing person that is looking at them, judging them. It is a form of an external locus of control for guilt, right? And I, you know, I explained it in four-year-old terms. And he totally got it. He was like, at least for a four-year-old, he got it. I talked to him very cleanly, very plainly about it. And then I called it back to, I said, Bishop, do you remember when I told you your mommy and daddy will never lie to you? He said, yeah. I said, there you go. 
those parents have not made that promise to their kids, but they'll learn. And then it was like, from there, it's like, he knows he can always trust us because Mm -hmm. like, I tell him, we're going to tell him the truth. And then I tell him the hard truths, you know? Yeah. Dude, I, I love that. I absolutely love it. And that it was so fascinating to me because my nine-year-old had never questioned it until he was nine. So it was like really easy to tell him. And I think it's the, uh, the sequence of because I'd just broken his heart about a whole bunch of things and like, you know, finding out superheroes weren't real really crushed him like 30 seconds earlier. I just didn't have it in me to do it. But you're right. Like I've been thinking about it ever since. And I've been like, man, I really kind of wish I had. And so you're not done, man. You can have that <laughs> conversation with him anytime you feel like. Yeah, exactly. And I, I'm going to 100%. I love this element about the truth about you. So actually, it, it brings, I want to go back in time. Because of you, I can now never rent a car the same way again. And it was all because of a story where you told about getting maximum insurance on a car, the walk away insurance. Do you remember that that you, that you wrote? Oh, yeah. So I was there for that. <laughs> I figured you were. So my question is, for those listening that don't know, so Tucker would, I, I just probably better if you tell like a, a mini version of the story. But my question for you is, did that come about because of this idea of just completely telling the truth? Because in essence, that is how it is sold as insurance, right? It's like the truth is you can walk away and then they don't expect anybody to actually utilize that. Yeah, because most people live like I was having a conversation at lunch, like why I'm not going to send my kids to public school, right? Mm-hmm. And it has nothing to do with getting a better education because most private schools have just as much of a shit education. It's because public school teaches kids to be sheep, to mm-hmm. obey. Right. Yep. I don't obey. That's not my thing. And it's served me very well in life. And I'm not going to ask my children to do anything different. And so if they want to obey, they obviously have that choice, but I'm not going to put them in a prison and tell them to sit down and obey for eight hours. And most people do obey. They went to school. That's what they were taught. That's what their parents did. That's who they are. Okay, cool. No problem. I'm just not going to do it. And so, you know, like maximum insurance for for a car, a rental car is called, it's literally called walk away insurance, right? I was on a bachelor party with my friends. This is like 10 years ago. And so when I rent the car, I go to the front desk and I'm like, I want full insurance, but let me get this very clear. No matter what happens, no matter whose fault it is, I don't have to pay for anything, right? And she said, yeah, no, that's right. It, everything's fully covered. I said, even if, if I just come back and give you a smoking, steaming pile of metal that used to be the car, we're good. And she's like, yeah, yeah, we're good. I'm like, okay, <laughs> all right. And so like my friends and I, of course, destroy the car. It was a comical, but the whole story's in the book. But basically I come back two days later or whatever, and I give her the keys or whatever it is. And like, and I'm like, all right, I'll see you guys. And she goes outside to look at the car and comes running at me screaming, you know, Mr. Bass, get back, Mr. Bass. She's like, blah, 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 and yelling about the car. I'm like, hold on. I bought walkaway insurance, right? She's like, yeah. I'm like, well, it's not walkaway insurance if I can't just walk away. And then <laughs> walked away. And she was so stunned. I, she, didn't, she didn't say, I don't know if she was angry or just didn't know what to do or whatever. And I got on the plane. I never heard about it again. That's amazing. So, I mean, at least we know that walkaway insurance truly is walkaway insurance. I mean, that's the, the main thing. It was from this dealership when I bought it, or from this company. Yeah, they may have changed it since. I don't know. But yeah, <laughs> like I, I didn't have to pay for anything. It's now walkaway insurance unless you're Tucker Max. That's the, 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 the key element there. All right, man. So we're drawing up to the end. In a second, I do want to, um, I, I want to ask you for your psychological hack. But before we get to it, 
If somebody, you know, is interested in Scribe and they want to learn more about what you do, what's the best way for them to go about reaching out to you guys and learning more? Just go to scribewriting.com. If you want to write a book, then we're basically the best company. Our services are by far the best. And then also we have what we call Scribe Book School. So like if you can't afford us, which is fine, everything we do, we have full like info courses for free. So like what most companies sell for $2,000 of course, we give away better for free. So just go to, if you can't afford us, go to scribebookschool.com. If you can, go to scribewriting.com. I freaking love that. That's so amazing. So there you have it. So go to scribewriting.com or scribebookschool.com. And uh, all right, so let's finish up. What is a simple psychological hack you could give somebody to help them be more successful or to get their mind right for their business? There's so many. You got to give me an area because like I, like I could talk for hours just about that stuff. All right, let's. So the biggest one that comes up is people that know they need to do something, but they don't do it. Okay. All right. Here's a good one. Right. That's a good one. It's going to f you up, though. I'm just going to tell you, man, if you actually do this, it's going to spin you out. But right, it will, if you stay with it, it'll get you through. All right. Okay. What you have to do, like, let's say I need to write this book or something and I'm not writing it, or I need to lose weight. That's a better one. I need to lose weight and I'm not doing it. I'm not doing anything I need to do to lose weight. Then ask yourself one question, a really, really honest answer though. What am I getting from not doing it? Okay. Right. But like, that's what you got to dig in though. So it's like, if I'm fat, right, if I'm a hundred pounds overweight and I say, of course I say I want to lose weight, but I'm not doing to lose weight or I do it. And then I sabotage myself. The point is whatever the cycle is, I'm not losing weight. The conversation I need to have with myself is what am I getting from staying this way? Because clearly what I'm getting is worth more than this desire I say I have. Right. So it's like the taste of eating donuts. No, 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 it's not. It's way deeper than that, dude. Because you can get sugar-free stuff. It's not, it's not going to make you uh, fat, right? Okay. So let's take weight loss It's because it's a really good one. For most people, being fat is a way to hide. Right? That's what fat is in America. Being overweight in America means you've given up. It means you're invisible. And so like, that's why you see so many women who've been victims of sexual assaults or stuff like that. They'll put on a huge amount of weight. It's an unconscious psychological defense. Because if I'm huge, then I'm not attractive anymore and I, I'm not going to be victimized. It's a way to be invisible. Got it. Right? Yep. And so, and for guys, it's different, but it's usually a form of, I'm too ashamed of myself. I don't think I can do anything. And so if I'm fat, I have an excuse. It's okay that I'm not good at stuff because I'm invisible anyway. It's a way of hiding. You usually need someone to be a mirror for you. But like, if you're really not doing something, I'm not talking about like you're procrastinating for a couple of days, right? Yeah. If you are not making wholesale changes that you swear you want to make, that you know you need to make, the question that will unlock it, if you're willing to be honest with yourself, is what am I getting by staying this way? Yeah, I, I like it. Because like you said, because they're more motivated to get what they're getting than to get the thing that they say they want. Right. And it's always unconscious. It's never obvious. Never, never, never in a million years. If somebody's struggling to work out what that thing is, is there like a, a way they can find it? I mean, therapy can work okay. The yeah. thing that I've, I've done, like I, I was saying earlier, the thing that's unlocked so much for me over the last 18 months has been MDMA therapy and psilocybin therapy. Dude, they have been the most game-changing thing. It's probably the most important thing I've ever done in my life are those therapies. I did four years of serious, intense 
psychoanalysis, which is like a form of talk therapy. So like four years, four days a week, right? And it helped me a lot. But basically all it did was give me a map of my mind. I didn't actually change a whole lot and solve a whole lot because like to make real change, you've got to feel the, the emotions behind stuff, right? And I, I just wasn't feeling anything from that. And so what plant medicines have done is unlock that, man. I felt my feeling. All the hidden, pushed down, repressed, painful stuff that I don't want to feel, Yeah, I felt. And like, it has totally unlocked my life, man. I can't say enough about it. That's awesome. I, I love that. It's funny. I know like a number of different people that have done something similar, like various forms of that from ayahuasca through to MDMA therapy. And it always seems to go the exactly the same way that you did with the exception of two cases. I know two people and I don't know what type they did if they did it wrong, but two people that did it and they ended up like giving up their business, convincing themselves that they didn't want to do anything, going on vacation for two years and then trying to claw their way back into the business they were in before. And I can only assume that maybe they did it because it was only two. Everybody else loved it, like you said. And I can only assume that maybe they like start self-medicating maybe or, or did some alternate version. But almost everybody I've heard has had a similar experience to accept these two. So I was curious if you had any insight into what that, because both of them had super successful businesses. Just one of them like walked in one day and was like, everyone gets a pay rise and I'm out. <laughs> He's just like, that was it. Yeah. So without knowing anything about the details, right? Uh, like this is speculation. But my guess is that they were on track of something and they weren't willing to follow it all the way through. They did whatever medicine they did. And I, like, I'll tell you, I actually wrote two pieces about this. You can Google Tucker Max MDMA and then Tucker Max Lotus Flower, and they'll come up. The MDMA piece is about my first two MDMA sessions, and the Lotus Flower piece is about this strategy I recommend people take. Because I think you should start with MDMA and then do mushrooms or LSD, then do ayahuasca. A lot of people start with ayahuasca, which is a major mistake because most people, they just can't handle it at all, right? And so anyway, they probably started with a very strong plant medicine like ayahuasca or a huge, very high dose LSD or, or mushroom session or something like that. Mm-hmm. And what they realize is they hate everything about their life or they hate their business or whatever, right? Yep. That, I mean, this sounds accurate. Right. So then they gave it away and they dropped it, right? Now, the, here's the problem. It's sort of like, if you stop there, then it's like, and I've seen this happen. I've seen people start and have amazing revelations that will 100% upend their entire life. And they, they'll like go 20% of the way and then stop. But you can't do that. It's like if you're trying to go grocery shopping, driving a mile to Whole Foods, if it's four miles away, isn't going to get you anything. Mm-hmm. And it's the same thing. If one session is enough, that's cool. For most people, one's not enough. And you've got to do multiple sessions and more important than the sessions, you've got to integrate, right? Meaning you've got to do all of the work to deal with everything that comes up. So think of it like in the session, all these issues are going to be popped up, right? And then you've got to do a lot of therapy afterwards to think and feel your way through those issues to understand what they mean and understand how they apply to your life. And so like, I've seen this happen where someone will do a session. And they will realize they have a horrible family who treated them like And so they'll try and bring this up with their family. And their family will freak out because that's what abusers do and manipulators do and narcissists and gaslighters do is they fight that. And then they'll just stop. They'll be like, okay, I guess it wasn't true. And so then like they'll stir up all this and then try and walk it back. That doesn't work. 
Like if you're not willing to go all the way, I wouldn't recommend starting the journey. Dude. I love that. I think that's absolutely huge. And you know, it does what you're saying resonates because that is exactly what happened with both these people. And then, then they try to claw their way back into the business they had before. It was right. Pretty- and that they hated. And that now they have to tell themselves a whole story about why they're going back to something they hated. What they have to do is keep going. The, when you're going through hell, keep going. Mm-hmm. Don't stop. That's the <laughs> worst thing you can do. And definitely don't try and go backwards because then you're just stepping back uh, through hell again. Yeah. And this is from somebody who wrote all about hell. Let's be real. Yeah, for yeah, real. You I, literally... fucked, man. I mean, I got went through it. Yeah. <laughs> Did they serve beer? That's the one thing I need to know. You know what's funny, man? This is going to sound crazy. One of the things, like when I did a very intense mushroom session, not early, but later. And one of the things that came up, and again, this is, I'm on psychedelic. So I'm not trying to tell you this is like a placebo, a double blind placebo tested, you know, scientifically validated information. This is shit I came up on mushrooms. So take yeah. it for what it is. But one of the things that came up is that we're already in hell. And like literally this is hell. And not hell the way you think of hell as fire and brimstone, that that place doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. this is hell and that all this universe and this, this reality is, is a testing ground, a proving ground for our souls. Basically exactly what the Buddhists say, right? Mm-hmm. That like you get a bunch of lives to like refine yourself and evolve to a higher level. And if you don't, you get recycled. And if you do, then you move on to like a different level plane of existence. And by the way, I'm not the first person to come up with this in the tibetan book of the dead (laughs) and all the way through all kinds of other people have said this all right wait so you're tripping me out because one of my mentors did an ayahuasca session and told me this same story but i know that he didn't read anything about buddhism or tibetan books of the dead but he told me the same story this is what happened to him (laughs) you know how sometimes you experience something as 100 percent true but you're like look i can't prove this to anyone else right yeah Mm-hmm. That's exactly what I feel about this. It felt to me and I experienced it as a hundred percent true. And it was like, I read all, like I know Buddhism pretty well. I studied it in college. Like I knew the Tibetan book of the dead. And I'm like, this is just kooky shit, right? In college. I'm like, this is an interesting metaphor and a story and all this stuff. But like the idea that it connected to reality didn't occur to me. And then I did eight and a half grams of mushrooms. And I'm like, oh, of course this is true. This is everything they said is exactly right. Like it made total sense. And again, I can't take you there. I can't prove it to you. It sounds crazy. If you think I'm crazy, I don't blame you. 18 months ago, if you'd said this to me, I'd be like, Adam, dude, you got to stop doing so much drugs. <laughs> but I, there you go. I love this, man. Thank you. Thank you so much for the insight and sharing this. So there you have it, guys. This is Tucker Max. I strongly recommend that you go and, uh, and check out his book rank stuff and, and just him in general. I just, uh, I really appreciate and admire you, man. You're a great guy. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us. Thanks, Adam. Thanks for having me. No problem. Once again, thank you so much for carving out the time to hear what was shared on today's podcast. To celebrate the launch of this show, we're giving away one free membership to our Smart Blueprint program and some of my favorite business books to five lucky listeners who follow, review, and share the podcast on Instagram or Facebook. You can find the exact steps on how to enter in the show notes below. Now, if you're new to the podcast and you want to learn more about how to build a smart business, then the absolute best place to start is with my Smart Blueprint ebook. Over 10,000 people have already gone through the book 
and it's one of the most comprehensive resources on strategically building and growing your business that you can find anywhere for free. Just visit thesmartblueprint.com forward slash ebook to grab a free copy. And I'll see you on the next episode of Smart Businesses Do This.